Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Matt, I think they're going to be asking for you to preach more often. No, 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 no. But let's, only, let's be only honest. Only when you sing in the choir will we'll go through that. Ah, all right, all right. No, I can try that. Solo, solo. So. Come on, Kathy, we're having a conversation here. Huh? Now, let's be honest. How many of you thought of Die Hard when you hear Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, right? It's amazing that the songs and melodies of the church get picked up in the rhythms of the world, and we should not shy away from it, but we should celebrate it. Now, today's text, Matt said he was going to be um, curious if I was going to act out the text. I'm out. And the answer is Wonder. no, my friend, and everyone shall understand why in a moment. The Ark of the Covenant is being returned to Jerusalem. And David is leading it as it comes in, and this is the text we're about to read in 2 Samuel. Now, one of the things that I do is I like to invite people to stand for the reading of Scripture. Traditionally, in the life of the church, that had been preserved for just standing for the gospel reading. But while I was in seminary, I was really challenged in the Old Testament text, why would we not stand for the whole of God's Word rather than just the New Testament? And I thought, you know, in honor of all that God is doing, so... Um, if the national anthem is played or the Pledge of Allegiance, we don't think twice about standing for that. So it's a way of giving reverence. It's a way of honoring. And so now, this text. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And Michael was married to David. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, i.e. the first potluck. <laughs> and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Sarcasm in Hebrew going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father 
or anyone from this house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. God, as we unpack the depth of this text and its meaning in our lives this day, would you free us from the distractions, deepen us in our commitment, and may your spirit stand between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news and the gospel of Christ. In whose name we gather, and in whose name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, in the midst of this text, we are going to move to some brief insights about why we corporately worship specifically. Last week, we talked about the individual nature of worship, how we can individually find that place of worship. We looked at Simeon's life, and we used the illustration of the sponge. Remembering that how you start your day. So I just want to ask you, how'd you do this week? How'd you do this week in starting your day? Did you start it in reading scripture? Or did you start it in Facebook and MSN and headline news? I want you to start your day in scripture. In the word of God. And let it speak to your heart. Because every one of us is a sponge individually soaking up what we surround ourselves with. And corporately in worship, we too are like sponges. Some of the radical things that we do that we take for granted are the simple act of congregational singing. Matt can give you a whole history lesson about how it was that songs in the life of the church were not meant for the peasants in the pew that all the liturgy of the church would only be preserved for the leaders, the priests, or the cantors who had the education, and you peasants who couldn't read, you just sit out there and listen to what we have to say. When you began to put choirs together, it shocked the system of worship. When you began to put the liturgy in the hands of the people, and people began to sing from the congregation, it shocked the system even more. And yet these hymns have been durable, theological expressions of our faith. What does it mean to worship together? Worship is used in many words in the Hebrew and in the Greek. So for the Old Testament and New Testament, it carries a myriad of meanings primarily around the idea of giving reverence. There's a a meaning of a specific word that talks about falling prostrate. So you often see times people will prostrate themselves and lay out. They're not fainting. They're they're, they're reaching out. It's an act of reverence. And, And when we come to the kneeler, we pick up a bit of that. You see, we have domesticated all of our worship experiences to our comfort levels because we really don't fully throw ourselves down. Well, we'll, we won't really throw ourselves down, Lord, but, but we'll kneel. And even then, you know, these kneelers, they can be used for more than just Holy Communion. They're meant to be prayer kneelers. I even heard the story told that these beautiful knitted Prayer kneelers, what are we going to do if everybody gets on them or they get worn out? And the response was, wear them out, church. 
and we'll make more. Be a church that's on its knees before God, remembering from last week that we can only go collectively as the body of Christ where we are each willing to go individually. Hear how Jonathan Edwards speaks about what worship is. If we do not give the highest respect to God that made us, there'll be something else that will take possession of us. We'll either worship the true God or some idol. It's impossible that it can be any other ways Something is going to have our hearts. Don't you love that imagery? Something is going to have our hearts. So what was happening in this particular text? The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God comes in, and there's important things in this text. First, when you think about the people, prior, the Hebrew people prior to David's reign, as they were nomadic and wandering, in the wilderness it was called tabernacle, And it was saying that God would pitch tent with God's people. And wherever the people were, there were specific criteria to set up a tabernacle, which would be kind of what we would equate to a pop-up tent, but with very specific areas. David carries this imagery, and when the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, comes, he pitches tent, he tabernacles. It's a place for the dwelling of God to be. What's transformed in the New Testament is that that Jesus wants to tabernacle in our hearts, right? That God's presence is pitching tent with us right here and how we respond to the love of Christ. Michael is Saul's daughter. She's looking out the window and here comes King David. Now I have some important biblical interpretation to change sort of the challenge of my liturgical dance this day, which I will not do about why did David dance half-naked in the streets? Now, in today's terms, half-naked can mean a whole lot of things, right? But if David is the king, quite literally, he would be seen wearing several outer garments and be very dignified, right? David would say, well, I'm the king. I will walk this way. I will sit this way. You will treat me this way. Think of Jesus' teachings about that great banquet feast, saying, don't want to go get to the highest place, the best seat. Take the lowest place. Jesus is constantly flipping the scale in the New Testament. But David comes at this moment and is so impacted by God that most likely the half-naked is a simple reference that he throws off the cloak that would identify him as king. And now who is he? He's just David. Friends, what if that's what God's calling us to in worship every week? You don't have to dance, okay? I know that some of you out there may be getting really, really nervous thinking, I'm going to ask you to dance in the aisles. (laughs) I'm not. But I will tell you, every one of us drapes ourselves and masks ourselves when we come to this place. Because truth be told, we don't want anybody else to know what we are struggling with in our own feelings, past decisions, regrets, and broken relationships when the reality is we come to this place to be lost in wonder, awe, and praise. Why do we worship? Because in the words of the hymn, we have a story to tell to the nations. It's the story of God's redeeming love in Christ. It will not change. But Michael's accusation is, you've been undignified. And what does David say? I will further make myself undignified. And it doesn't matter, because what is he doing? He's giving praise to God. Well, what does that mean for you and me today? 
What if we need to move our hearts to a similar posture of worship? Where is it that we have so restricted our willingness to be vulnerable to God in worship that we can't do anything? Because what we're doing is we're trying to keep it all together. How many of us have actually thought, well, I'm going to try and get it together, then maybe God will be happy with me, or then maybe I can do something. Friends, if you're trying to get it all together, I just want you to know it'll never come together. Never. Remember the little song that we used to sing as kids, and the kids still do? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, you and me, brother, in his hands. That's not a song about just the world. It's a song about your world. It's a song about your life, your walk with Christ, your relationship with Christ. Is that relationship that you have with Christ so intimate and so real that you really don't care what the world thinks of you? Because you know what God has stated about you on the cross of Calvary in the empty tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit found at Pentecost. Now, friends, we need to be aware of what it is uh, for people to join in worship. So, um, I would like to do a real practical lesson real quick. And that is, um, I know the people on the live stream, I'm going to be on the right-hand side here, Jason, so... I'm going by where Matt usually is in the light. That's what they've told me, stay in the light. That's a great phrase, isn't it? Stay in the light. We come into church on Sunday morning. We're gathered as a people of God. And look, we've got five worship services all over the place. It's hard to remember everybody's name. Oh, by the way, about those name tags. (laughs) Um, At the welcome desk, we are starting to sign up for new name tags reflecting the change of the church name. So feel free to go by, place your name. But if you handwrite like a doctor or physician, find somebody who writes better to write your name. (laughs) For however we interpret your name, Rick Smith, when you write it down, is how your name tag is going to be done. But let's say we come into worship on Sunday morning. What's the first thing that you like to experience when you come in? You're walking in through the plaza, and we have a person opening the door who says what? Good morning, right? The welcome of worship, right? And then you move into this place. However, I need to challenge you, church, because most of you have a spot that you like to sit, and you call it, what do you call it? My pew. Now, look, I know there are some very practical reasons for it, because, hey, preacher, where is the best place to hear you preach? Do you know how much that did for my heart? Most people would say, where's the sound the worst so I don't have to listen to everything you say? So there's some practical aspects. But I want you to think about your posture in worship. Yeah, Jesus loves you, and I'm working on it. <laughs> we sometimes get distracted by noise. So if you've got kids, I'm going to tell you something. The only thing that bothers me is a church that's so quiet, you can't, hit the, you can't hear the kids. Now, I know that there's times that kids are here or there or whatever, but friends, if we're going to walk our children in a place of learning to worship together, 
I hope the church is noisy. I hope there's a sound of laughter. I hope there's a sound of children. And I hope you understand that your physical posture may say everything to someone who's wanting to come and encounter and wonder, what shall I experience in this place? And the second thing I want to really encourage you to is, if someone's close to you, just say this phrase, good morning. Jeremy, it's great to see you today. That gentle, grace-filled welcome. Remember when Deneen Goldsmith was with us and one of her hallmarks when we talked about as a person who's coming from outside the community to be a part of our community, what was most important? She said, and I will never forget, I am absolutely terrified because I realize that as I'm moving through seminary and being held up as a pastor, someone's life, may literally be hanging on the words that I speak. That's an understanding of the sacredness of what we do in worship. Sometimes worship is about where we give ourselves to God. Sometimes it's where we posture ourselves. But friends, it's important that you also know worship is not limited to dancing. So for those of you who are thinking, okay, preacher, I'm not going to dance. You better find something in there for me. I've got a word for you. And that word is this, Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You delight not in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. Maybe you feel like you can't dance because of what's hurting. Maybe you're not comfortable being expressive. That's no problem at all. But bring your heart to God in worship. Give space in the pew for the people around you to worship in the way in which we do. There is a reason that some of you aren't in the choir. I mean, I'm going to leave that there. You know what I'm talking about, right? And there's a reason some of you are in the choir, right? Give space for people to experience worship. Now, here's what I want to also close with. I want you to understand that the gift of worship that the church gives us is found in many ways. It's not meant to make us comfortable. It's meant to connect us to God. There was a couple that went home after, after, um, after the church worship service and, and the conversation that the young child who is an elementary age child overheard with the parents was, wow, the you know, I didn't know that hymn, the music was too slow, the preacher was too long, no one said hello, the building was too cold, we couldn't find a parking spot. And the little boy said, well, I didn't think it was a half bad show for just a dollar. <laughs> Kids are watching, folks. They're watching and they're listening. Worship should challenge us. Did it make you a little nervous when you thought about singing Lord of the Dance and you were thinking, if I see someone tap their foot, I'm getting nervous, right? Let that be the Spirit moving you a little bit. You don't have to dance, but be present with the neighbor who does. In sense of a lament, we have a whole book in Lamentations of the Old Testament. Lamentations are the way that the church brings itself to a place of repentance, not just individually, but collectively. And we speak those words in the great thanksgiving in the order of liturgy. Merciful God, we confess that we have failed to be a faithful church. We have abandoned your law. We have rejected your love. Aspects of how you give yourself in worship. 
how we serve those around us through either meal distributions or feed my lambs or where we're going to be making the Haiti meals or what happened at the Houston Food Bank. These are acts of worship as we learn and grow and we are dedicated. We live into the echo of Acts chapter 2 as the early church dedicated themselves to the singing of hymns, the breaking of the bread, and the teaching of the apostles. Friends, this is worship. Our life is worship to God. So I have a simple question for you. How is your relationship with Christ? And in the context of worship, are you able to deepen that relationship? Are you able to tell God the things that burden you and break your heart to bring the hopes and dreams that you have? Are you able to receive in song, in liturgy, that encouraging word to know that we are not in this alone? That Jesus meant what he said at the closing of Matthew's record, go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you. I'm with you. I am with you always even to the very end. That's the kind of love that will not let you go. Let's pray together. God, I'm thinking of those words of the old Cokesbury hymn, O love that will not let me go. I give my weary heart to thee. I give thee back the life I owe that it may fuller and more beautiful be. Would you help each of us to recognize where you are moving in and around us? Would you help us to focus our eyes on Christ, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith? Would you help us to remember we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that not a one of us should be able to know that we run alone? Would you help our very lives be open to the movement of your spirit and the experience of your grace so that when we leave this place, our fellowship with you in worship will be recognized by the world around us. Not for our glory, O God, but for yours. And now, God, tune our hearts to sing your praise. Remind us that in worship, we are not the audience. You are the audience. And we come to give you praise and thanks. And if the world at times thinks we look indignant or undignified. Help us be willing to set that aside to be in your presence. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people to say, 